This episode of Strange Assembly is brought to you by www.l5rsearch.com. L5rsearch.com is a comprehensive online L5R card database with tools to assist in optimizing your decks, proxying cards, or simply finding out about unusual cards. Once you know what you need, www.l5rshop.com puts cards in your hands quickly and economically. This is Strange Assembly, episode 88, E-R-B. Well, Strange Assembly fans, we are back with another L5R only episode and with another guest appearance by Brian Reese, the lead designer of the Legend of the Five Rings CCG. Hey, Brian. Hey, everybody. Uh, thanks for coming back on the show. Now, it will not surprise any of our audience to know that the primary topic for today is going to be Ivory Edition and the some of the rules changes and card templating changes that have been in the recent designer diaries. But the first thing I wanted to ask, uh, I'll ask you about this, Brian, although it's, it's somewhat in, in Briscoe's territory. Did you guys think that there was any realistic chance that, uh, you know, one clan was going to end up coughing up two thirds of the locations lost in Cote season? <laughs> um, yeah, I don't, uh, do a whole lot on the, uh, the, the story aspect or the, uh, player interaction aspect of the uh of uh the tournament season so i was consulted but <laughs> that was more or less it uh, i mean certainly obviously we never expect you know two you know two-thirds of locations to be uh to belong to one clan but okay well now i just have to get uh briscoe on here at some point and ask him a pointless question because it's i i'm pretty sure the answer is no this isn't really what we wanted but uh you can't really change the rules in the middle of the game. It's madness. <laughs> yes, yes. I uh I did manage to resist making the uh you know, this is madness, this is Sparta reference in the Panku previews, but I think I used every other madness quote I I knew of. <laughs> uh also I have to say the full bleed, while I like the full beads generally, the full bleed of Akumasa is not really I think is less creepy than his normal art because the full bleed's mostly his navel. Well Akumasa is uh correct me if I'm wrong, but that's the one that where he's upside down, right? Yes, he's upside down. So his his like head is under the text box still. What I love is like as you're reading the text box he's staring right back at you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well maybe I'll have to do that. I guess I wasn't really looking at like reading the text box when I was looking at that again. But on the the ivory edition stuff you've uh, those have been up for a little over a week now or the the second one with uh, a lot of substance to it has been up for a little over a week now have there been any issues or questions that you've seen out there on the forums that you wanted to address there does seem to be a couple recurring themes that I've addressed but always good to address it where I can uh one is the uh Cards used in both in any of the design diaries are not necessarily spoilers of what's coming up in Ivory Edition. People have been seeing this like, oh, Matsukase is coming back. 
spoiler alert, Master Kase is not coming back. Uh, we were just using examples of old cards that were hard to read under the old way we worded things, and then how they would be worded if they were done today. So, you know, if you see a card updated like that, you know, Yasuki Makoto or Matsukase or any of these, that does not necessarily mean they're coming back. They may come back. Matsukase is not coming back. But uh, <laughs> these cards may come back, but this isn't a guarantee. The other thing that I've noticed crop up every once in a while is people seem to be under the impression that the complexity is being taken out of L5R. And I think they're using the wrong word here. When they say complexity, what they really mean is complication. Because we're not taking any of the complexity or any of the depth out of the game, but we're trying to remove as much complication as humanly possible. And those are two very similar but very different words. So I think it's important that people understand that difference there. Yeah, I, I have to say, if regardless of what someone uh, means by it precisely, but if the... Um, if what you're looking for in a card game is, you know, arcane timing questions that no one understands outside of the rules team and that are now going to be gone, I, I don't miss that, whatever label you put on it. Like, good riddance, goodbye. Oh, yeah, I mean, the, the change from reactions to interrupts and engage, I guess, but really to interrupt is just going to be huge. They've been playing with it for a while. It just makes, when you've got one timing window, it makes things so much easier. And you don't have these, these layers of reactions to reactions to reactions to reactions. It's like, no, 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 I'm not reacting to your playing the action. I'm reacting to my own reaction that's reacting to you. So first, do you have any reaction to my reactions? No? Okay, now we go back to the actual action. Now do you have any more reactions to mine? Ah, I have another reaction. <laughs> Yes. Well, not just I have a reaction to your action, but I have a reaction to the targeting of your action or the paying of costs on your action or, you know, one part of the resolution of your action or another part of the resolution of your action. It seems like you don't really lose, I mean, you lose almost nothing, if not nothing, in switching the timing points. You just have to phrase the cards a little differently. Yeah, we lose so little. It's uh, it's remarkable. There, there's a few things that you can't do anymore, but it's it's nothing that's that's that important. And as you're saying, it just makes things so much easier. The uh, the the removal of costs to down to just those two costs, which are there seemed to have been some confusion. I think maybe the second video cleared it up, but I was noticing some confusion after the first one that people thought that we were just going to go back to the old style where we didn't have the colon breaking up the cost. And I think that's probably cleared up now. But just to make sure the colon still breaks up the cost, we're just moving down to only two costs. A cost can't be whatever we decide to write on a card. Uh, and that helps a lot, too. You know, if I have a card that negates my move, negates a movement, say, in proper papers, and, you know, you have one card, that moves home as an effect, and then one card that moves home as a cost, the way Improper Papers interacts with those two cards is different, because Improper Papers only stops movement from effects. Actually, I think it does. Most of those do. So, you know, you can't stop the one that has the move home from the cost, like Wall of Honor, but you can stop the one that moves home from the effects, like the favor or whatever. So it's, you know, all of that gone, and it's, it's so much easier to play. 
I have been wondering about the taking the the number of different costs down quite so much, and part of that goes into one of the modern templating cards I had a couple of questions about, which was Accidental Confession, which used to have a cost of discarding the favor, and discarding the favor seems like it would still make sense as a cost, but it's not, and it seems to have left that card kind of oddly worded in there. So when the new wording of Accidental Confession says, discard the Imperial favor to dishonor him, what precisely does that mean? It means if you don't discard the imperial favor, you don't get the effects. And accidental confession's a little bit of a of a rough one because it does do so many things on the cards, and that's one of the things that we're going to be moving away from is, you know, my card does ten things. But, yeah, I mean, on some of those there will be, you know, as you're well aware, there are effects where when I, you know, when, if I fail to do one effect, that's fine because the rest of the card still goes on that's still going to be true and that will be what's representative most of the time uh but sometimes there will be you know like the discard the imperial favor to blah 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 and it just does exactly what you would think it does you have to discard the imperial favor to dishonor him in this case and if you don't uh if you don't uh, discard the favor then you don't dishonor him. If, if you have a card that's phrased like that do you have to do it if you can uh, yeah, yeah, like okay. all effects, you have to do them if you can. And then if you fail to do the favor for whatever reason, uh, say, I don't, I don't think actually controlling the Imperial favor is technically mandatory, by the way. It was, uh, it was updated in that preview, so if you played that card without the Imperial favor, just, you know, basically the whole card would fail. Well, I'll get to that in a second, actually, but I wanted to ask you, and so under the Ivory Edition wording, what's the difference between discard the favor to dishonor him and discard the favor if you did if you discarded the favor then dishonor dishonor him uh there's nothing really different between those wording outside of the outside of the fact that i hate you must do something period if you did blah 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 um if you're an experienced player like we are you know it, it makes perfect sense to say blocks the pylons you know move him home period if he moved blah blah but if you're an existing player, uh, excuse me, if you're a, a new player or a casual player and you pick that up, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It's like, wait, I have to do this first sentence, right? Yeah, you have to do that first sentence. Well, then why does the second sentence say, I'm, you know, <laughs> it only kicks in if I did the first sentence? I thought I didn't have a choice on the first sentence. And then you go on to explain and say, well, there's other cards that maybe will prevent you from moving, you know, like the improper papers in the case of blocks of bonds or whatever that will prevent you from from doing the first one, so therefore the second part of it doesn't kick in. and da, da, da. So everywhere I can, uh, or everywhere we can, I should say, we have been focusing on removing the you must do X, if you did X, blah, 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 uh, and finding new ways to put that. That just isn't so confusing and, and I jar. We're basically trying to avoid people doing double takes on cards or after reading cards saying, you know, wait, what? Right, we're, we're we're just trying to avoid that level of confusion, and uh, I, I think <laughs> our L5R expertise sort of works against us in some of these things. So I saw, you know, we're updating may not be assigned to and will not be moved into an attacking army to may not attack, and people have been asking, well, what does that mean? What does may not attack mean? Uh, does that mean I can move? Okay, so, well, you know, this is worse than what it used to be because now I can move in, and it's just. 
It's like, whoa, guys, we're used to this L5R having to try to read between the lines and look for the loophole stuff. But really, this is just going to common sense. What does may not attack mean? Well, it means he can't attack. Okay. <laughs> That's the whole thing. You can't, if you, yeah. If you ask him, can you assign? Well, is he assigning to attack? If yes, he can't do that. Is he moving to an attack? If yes, he can't do that. Is he being created into an attacking army? If yes, he can't do that. Right? That's what may not attack means. It, it just, it, it means exactly what you think it does. And unfortunately, our, our, L5R programming that we've had for a while of is going to be working against us for a little bit where we're not used to just such common sense wordings like may not attack or do blah, blah, blah to do blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Uh, well, the other question I had about that, like the wording of that card is when, when you were talking earlier, you indicated that if you don't discard the favor, you don't get any of the effects, but the effect of, the target personality can't attack or defend is part of a different sentence that does not, as the card was templated in the design design, didn't seem to be contingent on you having discarded the favor. Yeah, that, I mean, that was not a spectacular translation to an update. <laughs> uh, just because we would, that's probably a great example of a type of card we wouldn't make today but it also happened to um convey both the the costs moving to the two uh to the two language as well as uh, as well as the may not attack uh language being updated but if 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 it were to get updated exactly as it would be written there then the then the rest of the effects would uh would work as normal the uh you know, the, the can't attack or defend would work as normal. Clearly, that's, that is not how it would be updated, nor would his accidental confession coming back. That's just <laughs> not a card that we want back. We're really focusing, and I think I'm gonna, I don't think I've gotten into this yet, but I'm gonna get into it on a future design diet. We're really focusing on one card, one thing. I play my card, I get one effect from it, not, uh, and that, that won't be a universal truth, but we're trying to keep it down. And, and, and making sure that it, that it all, that it all combines together in, in a pretty common sense way. So if you have like a, a falling leaf strike, right? There's a lot of confusion back before the Emperor Edition wording of it where we changed to the performers and the mandatory targets and the costs or whatever of, can I play that to move on a post? When I say a lot, I mean more on the casual rings. You know, any tournament player would know about the mandatory targeting back then. But there's the question about, you know, can I play that unopposed? Because the way it was worded was, you moved your guy to a battlefield, never mentioned opposition. Then once all that sentence was done, at the end it said, you know, give a target enemy personality minus three force or something like that. So people would thought, okay, well, I'll move unopposed. I'll now give a target enemy, fail to have the target enemy. The rest of the card fails, that's fine, but I got my move unopposed. Those of us who know, you know, know that actually the required target you couldn't have played in the first place. And that's a great example of a card where the two effects are a bit disjointed and the type of thing we're trying to avoid now. Yes. But you could you could play it and not move <laughs> if you were already right. there. You could yeah, play. Exactly. play it and not move and you have to, there has to be someone there. It's not on a post movement. So if we were to redo that card coming back, uh that first line that first line of text would specifically mention it, you know, if he would be opposed, move him 
blah, blah, blah. That way it's super clear what the card does, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, I think the another common question that has come up is with the, the spell, I think it's Typhoon Surge, and the fact that, and uh, in, in your comment, that all of the exceptions to the rule of presence and location are going away. One of those exceptions under the current rules is the whole if this would create presence or this would move the guy into the battle, then that satisfies then well then basically the rules of presence and location don't apply. So Typhoon Surge seems like it would play substantially differently under Ivory Edition. Is that going to be is that reading correct? Uh it is. So in Ivory Edition you could use it for I suppose you can use it for unopposed movement from home. So you put on your Shigenja at home. You, you know, you attack, they defend province A. You say, okay, I do province B first. Uh, I'm going to use this because it's moved me in. It's created the exception to the rule of location and presence. Uh, that's all gone. So in Ivory Edition, due to the rule of location, that spell will have to be at the current battlefield in order to, to be able to be used. You won't be able to use that spell from home. Okay, now I I think that I and pretty much everyone else was pretty easily able to detect a mm, serious power disparity between cards that do and do not have the Ivory Edition bug. Purely coincidental. Yes, <laughs> I'm, I'm personally very excited about this, yes, but anything that says something like, destroy target unit, it doesn't have an Ivory Edition bug, I don't know why. Must have been a printer error, I guess. <laughs> but but I, I want to say it. Let me uh, let me phrase this question in in the least fair way possible. You just had to ban a free guy, and you just had to ban free inst- a free instantaneous money card, and you're printing an ivory bugged personality who is a free guy who gives you free immediate money. <laughs> What are you thinking, man? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> um, yep. Uh, <laughs> that'll be more clear, like how that's going to work in a future design diary. But uh, I I assure you that he is perfectly fine for Ivory Edition. Well, that's a much better answer than I was expecting. I, I was just expecting <laughs> a, ah, well, that's... That's not fair, Chris. We had designed this guy well before we had to ban, you know, whatever token whose most recent version is I've forgotten already. Uh, also, we had to ban him because he was a samurai, and this guy isn't. <laughs> uh, sure, we'll go with that. <laughs> no, but he uh, he works perfectly well with an ivory edition, but I don't think that'll necessarily make sense until after one of the future design diaries goes on. And then you'll look back and say, oh, that's why he'll be okay. All right. I will look forward to that then. Because I, th- I think that's been the only guy that I have really looked at. And like I said, I've, I've been glad to look at the Ivory Edition cards and go like, eh, that doesn't seem that good. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're going to get into, on one of the future design diaries, I'm going to get into the power level. But, I mean, it, it shouldn't be that big of a surprise. A price to anybody who's paying attention to the previews that Ivory Edition is going to be uh, a step down in power. The, the key word there, though, is a step down in power, not necessarily a step down in complexity or depth of the game. A lot of the changes, you're, yeah, you're either eliminating, at least it seems to me, 
silly arcane things that don't really add a lot. I, like the follower honor requirement. Okay, yeah, that has a game effect, but it just does not do very much at all for the sort of brain space it takes up for somebody trying to learn, I don't think, anyway. And it seems like, and a lot of it's just basically templating changes. We're going to use icons for this. We're going to, to transform things. You know, things that have worked out very well in other CCGs as far as, you know, new players picking them up and people being able to keep track of everything, I think, anyway. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, as I said in the design diary, it seems a little counterintuitive how icons can help make the card easier to read. But now when you look at an Ivory Edition card, the only text you see there is what the card does, and I think that's been pretty big. I don't remember what the first part you said was. <laughs> oh, oh, it was about the you know, just the going back to the like the timing things and the followers, just the arcane. Oh, Those the seem to be the two main. Yeah, yeah, I mean the followers. I mean that was you know not. I mean the the design space that opened up generally wasn't positive. And anytime we want to do some special follower that has a really high honor requirement of three or higher, or whatever, uh, we can always write on the card. We'll only equip to a guy with three personal honor or more. You know, we, we don't use that space very often. It's it's generally just more printing a way to print a downside on a card rather than any positive value. And I mean, to be honest, not that we would get rid of honor requirements and personal honor from personalities, but you know, they they create a similar situation. But they that has a lot more flavor, and that's worth keeping. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of putting things on cards that only create downside, I randomly speculated on uh, our previews that wow, if you look at at this madness guy, he's got an ability that's a, that's awful close to just open give a guy with a madness token brash, but he doesn't give brash. Does this mean that brash is is going away and and brash and overconfident being keywords that I kind of bashed because they're all downside mechanics, and I think people don't really like those uh, as much. Are, are brash and overconfident coming back? Uh, they are not. They are going away. I think they might have given the keyword things a bit of a bad rep when we first started introducing them, because I don't know if they're necessarily the first keywords, but they're definitely among the first keywords. And actually, I, I still don't mind them specific, specifically. Like, I, I don't mind the concept, at least, of I've got a more powerful than usual guy, so I've got some kind of downsided ability keyword, whatever. But uh, in the case of Brash and Overconfident, one of the specific things that made that particularly rough was it was something that your opponent had to be paying attention to. Like, it wasn't something that said, you know, has minus one force while unopposed or something like that, whatever. You know, something that you had to pay attention to yourself and that you had to calculate, therefore... If you weren't doing it, you were cheating or whatever. But this was something that your opponent actually had to be, had to know every time you brought a personality that was overconfident in play that he got to draw a card. And unless, unless you were nice enough to remind him every time, um, I think it, if I remember right, it's actually optional, not mandatory. Well, uh, what, what, well, what, what, the way that ended up being implemented actually was that we, it's in the, either in the floor rules or a, a floor rules ruling, because we had some discussions about this. Uh, I, I'm on the like the 
florals colloquium or or whatever it is you can uh, it's, it's uh, like that's not secret because if you look at the bottom of the floor rules i'm unlisted on the the people but yeah uh and i know there was some discussion about it. and the way the, the implementation is that if if you have overconfident and brash it is your obligation to remind your opponent every time that they come into play like if it, you bring a bind overconfident guy you have to tell them you attack with a brash guy you have to tell them but I mean, yeah, you still have to deal with that that situation, and and all of a sudden now you're in the spot where if you forget about your brash guy, you might be cheating. And it could be really easy to forget about your yeah, so your brash guy. So all overconfident brash, I don't think particularly worked out for the reasons that we mentioned. I, I'm not necessarily against the I get a little bit better guy than normal, but I come with some extra cost of you know maybe discarding a card when you come into play or something, whatever it might be. But uh, I don't think Emperor Edition was a a probably a good place to introduce that type of thing because generally the I get a little bit better guy for my money boxable or whatever. Pretty much most of those brash or overconfident guys don't see play outside of the ones that are free. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know, oh yeah, I think the that are free. The brash guy may, maybe Nobaru. I'd have to go see if he's in some of the. Monastery of New Thought decks, but I think uh, other than that, the brash guys are you know, pretty much universally unplayable. And yeah, the overconfident, yeah, the, the overconfidence is like, oh, this guy's free, yeah, who cares? Uh, that he gives my opponent a card, I'm yeah, going to out. And, in an environment that's different, you know, maybe that won't be. And not that we'd bring back brash or overconfident, but, you know, we're not necessarily getting rid of the keyword that's just a penalty or at least effect that's just a penalty like i don't think we i don't know if we would keyword it up but you know a discarding to bring him into play discarding a card but you get a really good personality so you're just trading out fate resources for better dynasty resources yeah uh but yeah brash and overconfident are indeed gone they won't be back for ivory edition there's some immediate discussion generated by the Kokujin preview, who is unaligned, but has the beneficial text for the Spider Clan about whether or not he is the Spider Clan guy in that cycle of of personalities, or if he doesn't count as, or if he's not Spider Clan and there's some other Spider Clan personality coming. Did you care to comment on that? Uh, so, yeah, if you look at the countdown, you can probably see this anyway, but, you know, there aren't any other spider guys on there. Kokujin is your, uh, is the, uh, is the guy for the spider clan. And we were looking at possibly just making him spider clan and increasing his gold cost of so spider gets the discount, but that honor lost is a pretty hefty one to try to soak up if you're not spider clan. So we just cost him at what we would have put him at for the spider. Do it that way. And it's just because we couldn't feel honest about making Kokujin Spider Clan. For very obvious reasons. The Spider Clan didn't exist uh, when he was around. So we just didn't, we didn't feel that that part was going to be right. So that's why we went with the, uh, the pretty hefty honor loss, which, you know, he always, not always, but I think usually had a pretty good honor loss on him, but. Spider Clan could always ignore, or Spider Clan can't ignore. Okay, another bit of uh, speculation that's been going around is things along the lines of, "Hey, 
Kuni Renyu, who, by the way, has anyone ever gotten this many experience versions this quickly? Uh, but hey, this new Kuni Renyu has randomly picked up the magistrate keyword. Also, we don't seem to have any berserkers in here. Is this some sort of signal about what our Ivory Edition themes are going to be? Uh, Coils of Madness, our focus was on making the best story set that we could. And since all the personalities are unique in it, uh, we were focused less on themes. So I wouldn't be looking at Coils of Madness as a signal as to what your future themes future themes are. Now, a, a future, a, a, I guess a future-focused question I have that's sort of a theme is that it, it seems like there's an awful lot of Coils of Madness that is, well, I don't know if an awful lot is right, but there's a substantial chunk of Coils of Madness that is dedicated to the the madness deck right you've got like it looks like there's going to be there's several unaligned guys that are fallen it looks like each clan has a non-unique and a unique fallen guy or something like that 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 don't look like they'd really play nice for that clan they're really especially you know they, they sometimes they're just it seems like for the the madness deck but the stronghold is not ivory legal which is you know normal for pre-base set strongholds but is there going to be an ivory legal pan coup stronghold for these guys to play out of or is this sort of your your one shot to get to, to play the fallen deck uh that will be up to the players actually and there'll be more explanations about that but at gen con the players will be in a position where they get to determine whether Panku or Fudo will be in Ivory Edition. Uh. So, one of the two, but not both, will be back. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, before we get too far off this subject, I wanted to, one thing I wanted to get out there in advance, because I know that there will probably be some upset players, but uh, when, the Scoil- when the Scorpion previews come out, they might notice that Scorpion has one less personality than everyone else. <gasps> also, you'll notice that uh, it's their um, their minor clan guy, which Scorpion chose to uh, chose to punt at uh, at the World Championships in Barcelona. Yep. So by the time Barcelona rolled around, Coils of Madness was pretty close to being to the printer. So when they decided to punt, we couldn't just come and make up a make up a personality and get them in. Get them in instantly. So they will be down one personality here, which will be made up in a future expansion. But just to get out ahead of that one. <laughs> it's almost like you think that L5R players complain about things in a clan-aligned way. Why would you think that? I, I don't uh, understand. You know what? It's, it's the internet. I'm not sure that there's anything unique to us that you don't see, you know, in magic or whatever outside. I mean, obviously you get much more a much larger attachment to the clans than, you know, say you get in Magic to the Colors, which certainly does add a force multiplier to the passion at which people... (laughs) No good blue creatures in this set. I'm quitting. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Or in the story, the blue creatures aren't doing as well as the green creatures. Yes. It's unfair that Jace always gets the most broken Planeswalker. Clearly, favoritism on the part of the... Of Mark Rosewater. Yeah, exactly. Mark Rosewater was always a blue player. We know his bias. (laughs) 
<laughs> I did. <laughs> I did a little little digression for a sec. I did see one comment that sort of made me chuckle a little on the Kotai season, which uh, someone posted something somewhere. I don't even remember where it was, but like, oh, gee, Phoenix doing the best. Brian Reese's favorite clan this Kotai season. What a surprise. To which I laugh because, you know, <laughs> Phoenix has been solidly middle of the road ever since I joined. <laughs> and, you know, ever since I joined the, you know, and Sam Ryan Celestial, uh, uh, anyone that's on playtest and Lotus, you know, they've been you know, right there middle of the road, uh, having spikes and doing well here and there. But, uh, you know, and they finally have one time when they're on top and hear the, oh, gee, what a surprise. Ryan Reese's favorite clan sitting on top. Ignoring the fact that they're not my favorite clan. I think if I identified as a clan, I'd probably identify as a scorpion, but, but there you go. Well, note to self. You cannot trust anything Brian says. <laughs> hey, I saw the Scorpion Clan goals in Wintercourt 3. They were all basically screw with you people. Okay, I think that that is all that I had for today. Is there anything that you wanted to uh, get out there before we signed off? Uh, that's about all I've seen on the current Ivory Edition design diaries. Uh, seems I've been getting really positive feedback, especially my amazing acting skills. Uh, everyone really seems to like that. So, Well, they thought you were better in the second one than the first. <laughs> Which is funny, because we filmed those on the exact same day. I'm not sure if you can tell <laughs> or not. Uh, just one right after another. Like The difference in the second one was he just laid a lot more images and videos on top of me. <laughs> Which I think it went better. But we got, some, uh, we got some ideas for when we start filming the next ones on how to make it less awkward. Yeah, I know somebody suggested, oh, you should have two people and then have a conversation, but I I think that involves a lot more camera work to make it look good, because you yeah. want to be cutting back and forth between the two people. And Yeah, I mean, when I first saw the video, which was before any of the images started getting overlaid, my initial response was, well, guess we're not going to do the video design diaries after all, and we'll just post them up in text. <laughs> <laughs> well, the guys will hold on, hold on, let me... Uh... Let me, uh, you know, let me start putting some images over here, and it, it won't, it won't be at quite as bad, which it wasn't. And I, I think the videos do a much better job of conveying the information than just a big wall of text would. So, yeah, well, all I can say is, I mean, there's a reason why we, we Strange Assembly have not ventured into video. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, it's, it's a lot easier just to record the audio of something and not have to uh, to worry about, you know, focus or resolution. or Hey, I mean, heck, people would probably want high res in the video, whereas for this, we got we used to get complaints that the uh, that the audio quality was too... Basically, the audio resolution was too high, so the files were too big. <laughs> <laughs> well, which, is, which is fine. I mean, we cut it in half, and you can't tell the difference, because it's just us talking. So... Awesome. Well, thank you for uh, having <laughs> me once again. Okay. Well, thanks for coming on, Brian. We have been talking with Brian Reese, the lead designer for the Legend of the Five Rings CCG. You have been listening to Strange Assembly. You can give us any feedback at chris at strangeassembly.com, or you can check out our website at strangeassembly.com. And uh, hope to hear from you. <laughs>